0: I'll be too nervous to be lost the words. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Lost Words podcast. The Lost Words podcast this week is brought to you by Manscaped. Manscaped are the best in below the waist grooming and they are champions of the world in this product. Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels manscaped just wants their fourth generation trimmer the lawnmower 4.0 all across europe that's right they are on 4.0 join over 2 million men worldwide who trust manscaped and we have an exclusive offer for you on the podcast you can use the code lfw20 for 20 percent off and free worldwide shipping with this code and with that we come on to the podcast this week jason hello as always good evening tom how are you I'm very, very well. Much better fuse in Manscape this week, um, and we've also got Matt Cooper. Matt, welcome.
1: Uh, hello, guys. I, I feel um, like I've slightly let you down. I've just, I've just had a normal shave this week. Yes, I mean, <laughs>
0: yeah, we, we can maybe uh, sort that out for you, Matt. Uh, we can maybe sort of help you out with some products and uh, make you feel. I mean, there's probably some talking points that I can add in there for you to uh, to make you feel better. But um, look, we've just had a, an excellent weekend of golf so i hear um unfortunately i was away all weekend um so i didn't actually see a single shot what i did see um jason which something and a person you've been talking about quite a lot on the show this year uh christopher broberg took an eight shot lead into sunday uh in holland and and as you just told me had a nine shot lead after the first hole as well on sunday that's quite a change for someone that has been struggling as much as him uh he was unbelievable saturday he
2: continued uh, a pattern performance that just absolutely out of the top draw i mean he couldn't miss he took me some 10 feet 20 feet he, it was it was a fantastic performance however um and i can't remember if, if it was left in on the on the 54 hole article i did point out he was all over the place with his driver yeah. um yeah. and um he you know his short game was just it was just incredible i mean his short game has always been good um but anyway, his short game got him out of it. Um, you go into Sunday with an eight-shot lead. Quite honestly, I, I don't. You know, I know we've seen Kymer and whatever, but it, it just couldn't. You just could not possibly see it. Um, I'd say Bird is the first on Sunday with a fantastic eye and I think it was six, eight feet or something for birdie on the first. There I mean, were plenty of people boding that um, nine clear, and it, uh, they, they said it on the. T- I mean, we'll go into Mark Row in a minute, but they uh, they said. Quite frankly, that that he made tactical errors, um, you know, taking driver out on many holes and stuff like that. But he was absolutely all over the shop. To be honest, I'm i I'm a big fan of Broberg. Have been for a long, long time. He's been very badly injured. There's a few of them: Broberg, um, Espen Kostad, people like that. The you know injuries taking their toll. So it's brilliant to see him. And I thought it was just going to be a victory parade. Um, I. I, I it's a, it was a brilliant course It was a difficult course If you weren't finding fairways But some of the stuff Was just shocking um, I, I, I don't know I Genuinely Actually not sure How he held on to win um, Some of his par puts Were brilliant On 12 he hit um, He was uh, just I don't know His second shot from the fairway On 12 the par 5 Went so far right He messed everything up Messed the drop up it Just messed the whole thing up And then chipped in From over the bunker When really the 6 Should have been an 8 if he goes past that hole, he's left with a 12, 15-foot uh, bogey or double bogey. Sorry. Um, and, and I don't know how he's held on. I mean, for me, he's held on because the brilliant Messiah Schmidt uh, messed up one hole. And um, that was it. He was lucky he had the eight-shot lead. It was brilliant to see him. I don't know if you saw the interview at the end. Um, he just collapsed in emotion. It was, it was you know, I, I'd like to say, I'm a big fan. I know a few people run at big prices. Um I was glad to see him win, but it was it was really, really hard to watch for me. Um there we are.
0: I was gonna reference it for the end, Matt, because he basically broke down completely in tears, couldn't couldn't actually respond to Johnny Morgan, which is completely understandable given um, you know, he's been in the doldrums for quite a number of years, injuries and, and many other reasons. Um, and when you look he, he he sort of said himself he said that you know he didn't have the game on Sunday and it wasn't I don't even think it was a case of nerves I generally just don't think where he is with his game is still good enough to be in that kind of position and, and under that kind of scrutiny I and mean, he, he actually ranked 63rd in the field of his approach um, on the final day 35th overall for the week which has got to be one of the lowest by a winner for quite a long time He was 49th for the week off the tee and 61st um, off the tee just on Sunday so like Jason said there was a lot of short game that saved him there
1: well well, it was it was quite it wasn't just Sunday either um, I was I actually uh, backed and tipped uh Helikilder last week and um, so about sort of halfway through Saturday I, first thing I saw was I think he was three under through six and I sort of thought oh great and sort of scanned my eyes up and expecting to see that he was close to Broberg and had somehow he was further away from him because broberg had played the first seven holes in seven under or something stupid so i sort of wandered back to my flat and put the tv on and i i actually messaged dave tindall about half an hour later because i said i can't i can't make this out i'm watching christopher broberg threatening to break 60 and he's just hit three of the worst tee shots i've ever seen a professional golfer hit <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 it's I mean, every single one he let go of the club with at least one hand, and the third of them with both hands. It, it was just, it was just extraordinary. But um, like Jason says, his his short game was fantastic. Uh, I don't know, I don't know if you remember a long time ago, so we're probably thinking ten years ago, when Alex Norren, who has gone through many um, many obsessions, he had that he had a um, a blog that he he blogged non-stop then it became a photography blog then he used to uh, detail how he was doing weights with yo and edfors uh, as a little aside i discovered this week that yo and edfors has now given up golf entirely and runs a paddleboarding business in sweden um, <laughs> a little a little snippet of info there um, but one one of the things he was obsessed with for a long time when he had a, a blog was this strange character in his local indoor driving range and it was christopher broberg and he he'd never played at challenge tour level at that point and i can remember really clearly these videos of this bloke doing amazing tricks and Noran would talk about him as being this sort of weird cult figure at his driving range and you didn't know who this guy was it was like it was bizarre and then finally he started playing and he won those three challenge tour events In jason might be sharper on this than me but it was it was only in about eight or nine starts that year wasn't it
2: yeah, he, he could have won four in a row in the month of August.
1: Yeah, um, it was just it was just startling, and it was like and and very. I don't think everybody associated this stunning performer with this character who'd been on Alex Noren's blog, like a year a year earlier, and slowly put two and two together. Um, so I I always sort of remember that he 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 had something quite special, but also he was also one of those golfers who was capable of. Uh, some pretty rotten golf in between all the brilliance. Um, but yeah, when he broke down, it was it was very clear that that the six years since his success in Shanghai had been had been very difficult for him. Um, I, I think I've occasionally spoken to people about him on tour, and they, they it was very apparent that it had it, it proved very difficult. Um, I think it was three operations he had on various problems, but. I think just the associated business of, of not knowing whether what you're so good at is, is ever going to come back uh, surely has quite an impact on your, your mental health as well as your physical health.
0: I think that's the thing. I think you could tell from the way he was trying to speak. I think if it, if it was purely injuries and he knew that once he was getting back to, to better health, it would come, he would, you know, not to say he wasn't happy, but he would be, you know, more in control of his sort of thoughts. And But I think, you know, you could just tell that, He really let that out, and I thought Johnny Morgan actually sort of dealt with it pretty well, and it was quite quite a good interview. So, um, you know, without saying an awful lot, you know, just to say that you know he's an excellent champion, you know, that is what I did see, and it it was good to see. I mean, it's bizarre from a from a statistical point of view of people that kind of get caught up on that, as as I often do. You know, you you wonder how he won, and Matthias Schmid, like Jason said, had to have a you know a terrible hole on the back nine to to cost him but that's uh you know a youngster rookie chance i suppose but jason what do we expect from christopher roger going forward do you think this is going to bring him forward i mean you know statistically speaking it doesn't there's nothing there to suggest that it can stand up to that kind of pressure again it may just be that the the hands were dealt in the right week
2: yeah i mean if you if you think
0: He's a professional sportsman. I mean he um
2: when you go back to him beating Patrick Reed, Patrick Reed ended that year number ten in the world. Yeah. So if you're coming if you're coming out and you know you're good, and Alex Norren did actually say you know, I think he's the hardest working golfer on the you know that he knew. Um he I'm sure he was he Norren said that he was, you know, one of the one of the best Swedish that he'd seen, or whatever it was, I can't remember back then exactly. So he's finished the year of sixty five, he's beaten the world number ten, not far short of the end of the year. Um And he can't do a thing. I mean, he literally cannot do a thing after that. He goes from end of year 65 through the 200s, and last year was 2069. I mean, for a professional sportsman, that's just got to kill you. What's happened? I mean, obviously, we know injury and stuff like that. Um, Look, look, I agree with you. There were issues, I think, where he could have made his life a lot easier over the weekend. He took driver out, I don't think, where he needed to, and he knew he had problems with the driver. Um, but this was a weekend that, that a lot of people were under pressure. I mean, Schmidt was brilliant. I'll go on to him in a little bit as well. Um, we saw Canizares. I mean, he was under pressure to gain his card. And what he'd done on 18, I don't think you saw that, was just bizarre. Um, it, it, I mean, Matt, did you see it? Uh, Tom, did you see it at all? Oh, I, didn't uh, see it. I missed the second shot and only saw
1: when he was dropping behind a bush and then was, hit into the green.
2: It was bizarre. I mean, Canizares obviously was protecting his position. To, to get as many points as possible and he's it, it's so wide it go, I think it goes 18 and then 1 and then 9 ok so 1 runs through the middle of them both um, and he said it's so far left that he's on the ninth fairway but he's, he's not actually on the fairway um, he's, he's had to take a drop there's a big thing about his caddy telling him he's dropped it forward then he has to call a referee and then he has to hit a shot from the rubbish It was it, this course is brilliant next year this course is gonna be unbelievable but um, he had to hit a shot from from a bit of rubbish, uh, at least 170 yards over a gorse bush and surrounding sort of island of gorse bushes, and he's just hit it straight into it. And it's, uh, it was it was the most bizarre ending to a tour. Some of the shots that were played on a course that probably needs a lot more respect than they showed it, and maybe that's because Broberg hit what he did the week you know the day before. It was. It was that. I think if you hit level fours around that course in the future, I, I think you're entitled to win every single time. It was unbelievable. The the pressure and the tension. Uh, it was. It was fantastic sport, you know. And that's without any of the big names really being there. Um, in terms of Broberg going forward, I hope he kicks on, Tom. But I agree with you. I think. I, I think we'll see what happens. But I think he. Um, it may settle him down. You saw what happened with the likes of Richard Blaine, didn't they? Yeah. You know, it's. Um, once they win, I mean, the pressure's off him for two years now, isn't it? So maybe he won't go gung-ho at everything. Uh, if, if he gets it on the fairways and on the greens, he's going to be lethal with a putter.
0: Uh, we'll see what happens. Um, yeah, it was great. I did enjoy it, though. Yeah, there's a lot to be said for being able to free-roll into the rest of the season and, and obviously next year as well. On the course, you, you mentioned obviously that it was a great test and people will be looking at it thinking, you know, 23 under one and it wasn't that tough. But David Horsey actually tweeted saying it was a great week at the Dutch Open. Another gem of design from Carl Phillips and he'd love to have seen its teeth with some wins. So sorry, Tom,
2: sorry. So my point was, that I think people thought that because of what Broberg was doing. Yeah. It was in fact that it was, of course, that demanded you to hit fairways. You know, yeah. you had to hit the fairway.
0: And, but that's the thing, isn't it, as well, is much like many other courses around the world and on different tours, etc., it, it's so contingent on, you know, the conditions. If there is there is no wind, if there's no, benign, if there's no rain, if there's nothing that kind of challenges you, then the best players in the world are going to stand up there and, and make their scores. And it will be interesting to see how that goes considering the reviews that they've got. Um, another sort of tournament you wanted to talk about was obviously the, the LPGA this week. Um, Jing Young Co played in the Cambria Portland championship 11 under or classic, sorry. Um, four shot win in the end, Jason.
2: That's how, that's how somebody who's downgraded, if you like, wins a tournament. That was just, it's, it's, do you know what? There's certain players when they're downgraded or, or the tournament is less competitive. Um, one is George Cossier when he goes over to South Africa. Um, and Ginny and Co just absolutely so. I know it was only a three-day tournament. Uh, Saturday was rained off, and so the, it was. It was much softer, but she was absolutely. Dying. I mean, I, we we sort of Matt's been on a few, obviously, a couple of the majors or three of the majors I think this year, and we I think we've mentioned Co very highly in every single one. She was outstanding. I mean, Matt will correct me. She has won the Evian once, twice. I can't remember. Uh, uh, she won it once. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and and this very much reminded me. It was it was you had to be careful. Um, the scenery it was a stunning stunning course I I absolutely loved watching it and she was just different class and the way she finished it on the par 5 she didn't need to do anything she was miles clear anyway Uh, she hits it I don't know 25-30 feet behind the pin just to two putt and and come home and she holds the 30 footer and I love it when they do that because that ruins everything because she's supposed to lag it up to two feet and the other's putt out and then she does that she knocks it straight in absolutely different class she was absolutely brilliant
0: and it 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 was great to watch to be honest with you Yes, yeah, you know, it's like you say, it's a player that we've been talking about a lot this year and, and it's good to see those, you know, come home to roost and, you know, like you say, it was a, it was a shortened event, but she took full advantage and, and got the job done. Another exciting uh, winner was Darren Clark at the Sanford International. Um, you know, there was some big names playing in that tournament. Steve Strucker, obviously one of them, who we're going to come on to later on in the podcast. Um I was delighted for two reasons. One, because I liked Darren Clark, and two, because I thought Steve Flesh was a good bet and didn't bother doing it because I was away. <laughs> um, so I'm glad that he lost uh, the playoff. But, you know, he, he's actually, you know, playing some great golf at the moment, Darren Clark, over on, on the seniors tour. And, you know, I'm not sure he looks in great shape. You know, I think he's enjoying life. But there's certainly some good goals to be said there, uh, Matt. And, you know, I think that we, we're constantly seeing these guys now going over to the senior tour and, and playing some very consistent stuff.
1: Uh, yeah, um, I've, I've got to confess I don't I don't watch a great deal of uh, senior golf. I, 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 but perhaps because there's so much of it, you've got to ultimately decide what you want to watch and what you of don't. Course. And um, I, I sort of I really struggle to get um, too motivated by, it, if I'm really honest. Um, no. I'm, part of I think part of me is I it kind of grates with me that I think I think lots of them have made a heck of a lot of money and uh they kind of make it's, it's, more <laughs> and it, it's a bit it, i think it's a i think the phrase i was going to say was it's a bit rich and it it literally is i think i, I kind of think that they should toddle off and the money should be spread around <laughs> like um, uh, other tours and things I mean, which, but, but even that very fact i mean it, if i'm really honest it still staggers me that as much money does go into golf every week as it does when you consider how many tours there are all around the world, it's utterly staggering the the amount that golf attracts. Thank God, because um, yeah, otherwise we wouldn't have anything to punt on.
0: Yeah, no, I completely agree with that actually. And you know, the, the fact, like you say there, that all this money goes to pros that are well established must be pretty much set, considering they're in the Champions Tour for a reason. And and people like Challenge Tour uh, golfers are, are scratching around for a few bob. It is a uh, it comes on to uh, you know what's right and what's wrong and. Talking of the challenge for Jason, the player that we've been talking about for a number of years and someone that's been projected to win for a long, long time. Um, He was a low amateur at the Open that he played in uh, in 2017 at Birtdale. But Alfie Plant's off the mark now.
2: Yeah, it's been a long time coming. People have been bigging him up for years and years and years, haven't they? But then, I mean, how many do they not big up? Do you know what I mean? I'm sure we could put up 20 names and when they won, we go, oh, people have been bigging him up for seven years. (laughs) So it's great to see him win. He won the three-man playoff. Um, And just out of interest... Um, or not out interest, I'm going to say it anyway, whether you're interested or not. He won a three-man playoff for the European Amateur in 2017. He's now gone on, obviously, and won on the Challenge Tour, so we might see him you know, in the next year or so coming up. Um, he, Nicholas Hogard won the European Amateur in 2018. But Ty Schmidt won the European Amateur in 2019, 2020. So, and obviously, you can go back and people like Raw and people like that. So keep your eye on Christopher Bring. We've won the 2021 European Amateur this year. Don't forget him. Because what happens is they go off, don't they? And they end up sort of finishing 138th in, in, when they eventually make the top level. Um, don't forget him. Write his name down. And when he's three
0: figures, get on. Yeah, I think we're very quick to dismiss people when they don't come out far in after two or three weeks because that's what we're accustomed to from these very, very top guys. And I think Alfie Plant was probably one of those. You know, he, he had a couple of years where he didn't live up to the the height that was probably expected of him. He probably... Believed how good he was from what people were saying about him, and and probably expected to be on the European tour rather than you know getting there through merit. And uh, you know, eventually he's gone and done the hard way, and, and here he is. finally onto the Fortinet Championship again. Didn't see an awful lot of it; wasn't a TV friendly event. But uh, Max Homer won in California, which isn't the the biggest surprise of all. He wasn't in the best of form, but weekend sixty fives uh, very very good from him, and he beat Maverick McNeely, who I believe doubled the 17th before eagling the uh, the 18th to get into uh, solo second. So, you know, Mito Pereira was there in solo third, coming off of the corn for a talk. John Orgenstein, Jason, you've been speaking about for a long time, tied sixth. So there was uh, certainly some people to keep an eye on there. But... He won, just just to say, he won the most stupid trophy
2: ever given to a sportsman. I mean, why, why a professional golfer needs reminding with a four-foot tee? he's won a golf tournament. I, I just, it was just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, it's some rubbish about, I mean, the South Africans have some really weird trophies. Um That was just pathetic. Uh, you know, I'd have just
0: smashed it up if I'd have won it. I do think there are some stranger trophies who won and Maybe we can do a uh, slideshow <laughs> of terrible trophies. I soon soon to remember a, a really dodgy uh, ladies' tour glass uh, <laughs> title somewhere. Oh so, yeah. Um, yes, I'm sure. I'm sure there's some awful ones. I think by Match Chuckle, he remembers that one as well. So, um, yeah. But coming on to the main event for the week, the Ryder Cup. Obviously, there's this not uh, delay it any further. Um, it's been a tournament that's been dominated by the Europeans. Not even just you know you'll always hear the one, seven, the last nine, but you know you go back to. 1985 really and and it's kind of been a massive thing for for european golf. um you know i think they've only won five times in those 17 uh events to uh, the usa side so i think when you look at it the the tide kind of turned when 1979 when the continental europe's were added to, to the Ryder cup and it was no longer just a gbni team um i suppose there's probably differing views on on why europe have had so much success but, uh, but Matt, I'll come to you first. How much of it do you think is uh, a lack of care from the Americans in the sense that you know that they're so used to winning that there's, I put it that there's little upside winning the Ryder Cup for an American team because they're either expected to do it and don't do it and are criticised or they do it and it's just kind of a, a clap on the pack and well done for, uh, you know you know, no special thing. But Europe seems to be celebrated regardless of how they do it.
1: Uh, yeah i think I, I quite like I quite like your phrase there i think that kind of works a little bit um yeah i I think possibly it's I think they want I, I don't think there's a it's a case that they don't want to win it but I think I think even the likes of us who've played at quite a low level of sport we must have been aware of occasions when we've wanted to win something and then when we've really really wanted to win it I know I've Things and suddenly think God, I was I was really up for that one, and I think I think basically Europe are really up for it, and America would just like to win it, and I think that changes sometimes, but I think I think you're able to identify a little bit when it changes, and so it was like the war on the shore, Dave Stockton. Um, I think Ben Crenshaw achieved it in 1999, and definitely Paul Azinger in 2006, and and what they did was they managed to instill a slightly different atmosphere amongst the americans which were, I, I think i wrote a thing a little while ago about the Solheim cup and the ryder cup and i said we look to try and see what is the key for victory at, at those two events and you'll look at world rankings what people have done in the the weeks leading up what they've done in the majors that year um i mean i later on say that i mean I've, I've i've done some research in the last 10 Ryder cups and we keep being told that to look at the world rankings and it fails so abysmally that as a as a predictor, if you just flip it around the other way, it becomes incredibly accurate. So you just look <laughs> for the team that's got the worst world rankings. Uh, it's even the case, the the number of majors that are won by the two continents that year. If you flip it around, it suddenly becomes an utterly brilliant predictor of of, of who's going to win. But I but even despite all of that, that's all I think. I think that's a bit by the by and just happens to be coincidental. I think what genuinely is the case in all of these things is if if a team has some sort of sense of self-righteousness uh, that drives them then it it tends to be the key and it, in in most years it tends to be Europeans who've got that. So starting in 1983 Tony Jackson and Sevi Biastros of fueled Europe throughout the 80s by the fact that both of them felt some sort of anger towards the fact that Americans looked down on them a little bit. They were also fueled by a fury against the European hierarchy they thought had mucked them about. Um, and so weirdly they were they were acting against both of those and, and they dra- they dragged the rest of what was a golden generation of European golfers with them. And um, this, this sounds like a terrible bit of name-dropping, but I've actually, I've actually chatted to Padre Harrington and Tony Jacklin in the last week. And Harrington, I asked Harrington about that generation in the 80s and does he ever think about them? And he said, yeah, he does a lot. And he, he thanks them because what, what they did was uh, kind of what I just described. They they felt a chip on their shoulder about the Americans. And he said, the, the key is that we've never got rid of that. We still, Europeans still live with it. And he sort of said that, if you were leaving from the european tour to go to the Ryder cup um it wasn't just the europeans who would like wish you luck is it the world golfers the south africans <laughs> the australians that it, it was all a sense that we're looked down upon mm-hmm. as the second tour i mean it's it's an upset i think they'd all the, the strange thing is i think if they went to the pub they'd all admit it is the second tour everybody knows that but it doesn't stop you feeling a bit chippy about being sort of looked down your nose at uh, and i think that's that's fueled the Europeans for the last four decades. And then those those few instances I mentioned, the war on the shore, Dave Stockton did very well at getting the Americans a bit fed up That, uh, And you can see how it happened. The, the Europeans got a bit cocky in the eighties and all oh, we've suddenly turned it round. And also viewed from a different perspective, we tend to just view the fact that Seve was great. Uh, in, in truth, Seve was like an incredible gamesmanship exponent. <laughs> And it was extremely, it must have been incredibly irritating for the likes of Chip Beck and Paul Azinger. And so they they were getting a bit riled by that. And, and so they gained a, an element of self-righteousness that overwhelmed the European one. And that, that ticked on to 93. I think Ben Crenshaw whipped that up again in 99. Azinger definitely did. And he also, his pod system was also very smart because he'd seen that the Europeans had natural friendship groups. And although I'm very skeptical of Country groups, I think, on the whole, um, they don't they don't work as well as everyone thinks they do. Especially when you sort of just tossing a couple of poor Scandinavians together, because everyone's just oh, they're similar similar mentality. I don't think that works. <laughs> but I think, I think it always works with the Spanish because, in actual fact, they, they get the sense that they're playing for the country, uh, and also the numbers are always skewed by the fact that if you've got Alathabel, Ballesteros and Garcia in a partnership. Then it, it's going to be rather good anyway. But um, but azinger spotted that but he also fueled let's 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 get one on, over on this up because they've been beating us up um, and I, I I think if I was Steve Stricker I'd be trying to find something along those lines but I don't know um, I don't quite know whether it's it's the easiest thing to do because it's not they're, they're not natural um, they're not natural folk who get a chip on the shoulder in that sense so if they're going if America win this week, they're probably going to have to do it just by playing the better golf.
0: Yeah, and I agree yeah, with a lot America of that. I think that, you know, like you say, it's very easy for the Europeans to say, well, you view us as secondary players, we're not as good as you in the world rankings, you think you've already won it before you turn up. Um, and you know, and they just take great, you know, uh, joy in that and, and turning up, especially lots of Ian Poulter. I mean, he's a guy that, you know, has a kind of footballing background, didn't quite make it as a footballer wasn't expected to make it as well as he did in the golf has always just kind of fought against the odds and and does that and Matt's point there Jason about the Americans don't really have a need to have the chip on the shoulder okay they've lost seven of the last nine but they are still viewed every single time they come into this as favorites they're still the better team they're still ones that will be expected to win so it's just a case of can you get the job done as opposed to and I think also, I think this team now, this year, are going to have to pay for the failures of the teams in the past. And, you know, maybe the fact that there is six rookies on there with absolutely no scar tissue whatsoever is actually a massive benefit for them. Um, I think you might summed it up
2: when he used the word team. I mean, we discussed this earlier on. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, basic figures um, average world ranking of the Americans is nine, ours is 29. Majors, they've won twelve. We have won seven, but they're individual efforts. You know, majors are individual. You work to your own strengths. You, you know, you're 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 on your own. You're mentally um, you're mentally responsible for yourself. Um, and I said to you earlier, I think you know you've seen the Europeans sort um, put their arms around each other and do the ole 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 thing enough times. Um, I look at this American team and can't see twelve of those putting their arms around each other and going ole ole ole. I think it's huge, and um, look, I mean, look at the end of the day, the Europeans have got, you know, John Rahm, uh, Rory, Victor Oladipo. You know, um, I think there are players out of form. I'm sure we go through it at the moment. They've got players out of form as well. I, I, I just think, I mean, I think you're right. I think the likes of Xander uh, fits in beautifully with with John Smith and, and JT. Um, but I think, I think there are. Weaknesses in both, and and I think the price personally, uh, I sort of we'll conclude it at the end, but I think the price is is slightly wrong. I think they they should be slightly closer together because it is a team game, um, and I think we'll be surprised about you know what the Europeans can do in the four balls and foursomes. You know if they take, if they can take it with a slight lead in Sunday, and I really believe they can. Um, this will all be about mental belief, mental strength, team support
0: and and it'd be interesting to see because i don't think the americans have that i i think it's going to massively come down to you know and it's very easy to say because i think most of the Ryder cups generally go to the winners of the first day um but i think that if europe lead after day one america can very quickly capitulate because they've the, the guys that are at the front there i mean as i said to you earlier you've got um, Justin and Jordan—they're going to be a great pairing. You've got Xander and Patrick Cantlay that are going to carry on probably their Ryder C- uh, their Presidents Cup pairing. Sorry, um, and I think you've got a whole host of, of rookies that can really make a difference. Yeah. I think Dustin Johnson comes in um, as you know the most experienced Ryder Cup player, and although he hasn't had major success in the tournament, obviously as a team hasn't, as an individual that two thousand and twelve Ryder Cup he went three and zero like. And I think and I think that is the massive problem. Like he'll look back at the Ryder Cup in twenty twelve and go, Well, I did everything I could. Oh, I didn't let the that side down. And Brooks Kepka summed it up in his comments and said, Well, that's what people do. They look back and say, Well, it wasn't my fault. Um, they'll just look at the fact that Bryson DeChambeau went 0 three in Paris and, and that was his fault. But he was paired with Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson in foursomes. you know, it's not it's very much like you say no one goes around and blames any one player you know europe didn't look at martin keimer in 2012 and go oh, you know he's gonna he's gonna really you know be a problem for us we're gonna have to sort of drag him along and you know they were confident of him making that six foot putt in the last i know maybe they have to show a confidence in him when maybe they don't believe it but they do do that whereas i don't think america quite quite do regardless of whether they believe it or not so um the, the counter to that would be that i think that we don't know what this current crop of players are going to be like in team events. We know what Dustin Johnson, Brook going Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas are going to be like. We don't know what Colin Morikawa is going to do. We don't know what Harris English, Daniel Berger is going to do. Again, is Harris English going to be a massive part of Ryder Cups going forward? Possibly not. I think he's at a very big you know, purple patch of form and may not be here for long. Daniel Berger has been up and down in his career. So you look at the likes of Scotty Sheffield is going to be a big part probably. Tony Fiena is probably going to be in a couple more. Um, there is a nucleus of golfers there the easy storylines at the moment um, are going to be that Brits Koepka and Bryson are going to cause problems in the team room um, I heard an interview with Harris English who said that they've kind of put it behind them, there should be something coming out publicly to say that um, I just don't think they cared Like you can just put Brits Koepka out in the last session and Bryson out in the first session and it won't really matter um, I think it's just the golf course Matt that's kind of made the odds what they are in terms of the USA being overwhelming favourites. Because although that you know, the wind gets up and it and it becomes tough, I think that'll fall into Europe's hands. But generally speaking, this is a oh, I think a perfect golf course for USA and and history kind of suggests, you know, you look at the Miracle at Medina and that's exactly what it was. Like, really and truly, they had to win what was it, eight and a half points on Sunday Europe to actually even win that by a single point. Um we should be looking at, you know, three consecutive uh, Ryder Cup wins on American soil and probably a fourth this week. I think
1: personally. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'll, I'll confess, I I feel a little bit like I did ahead of the Solheim Cup. Um, I changed my mind really late at the Solheim Cup when Nelly Corder started trying to claim underdog status for the American team. Yeah. As, as soon as I heard that, I, I just thought that that's they they haven't got their heads round this. It's it's um it's but b- before that my feelings were that the price was wrong, yet I could see it all going pear shaped for the Europeans if the crowd got noisy. And I was remembering um when they got trans a bit the only time in the last sort of six Solemn Cups. And and this time um it's a slightly different thing. I'm I I think the price is wrong. I think I think should, it should be a heck of a lot closer for, for all the reasons that Jason was discussing about teams and stuff. And it's I think so, I think sometimes it's, it slightly bothers me that when when a player, and they tended to be American, so you might say like Tiger Woods and currently Brooks Kepka are sort of discussing that they don't really like the Ryder Cup because they prefer the individual bit where they have to say that there's a, there's a slight sort of weird moral superiority that we somehow like go, oh, well... Their the inability to, to meld into the team is somehow um, makes them sort of inferior. And uh, if, to to be honest, if somebody doesn't like team sport, big deal. They don't like team sport. It's just just a fact. But I think it, I, Brooks is like is it, uh, strikes me as being a classic example of the the sort of problem that the Americans have. I, I just can't see that Brooks going deep down in his gut desperately wants to win this so that when he really has to dig deep, uh, just, I'm not convinced that he, he he has it in him to dig deep, which is what somebody like Polter and Sergio Garcia um, do have the capacity to do.
0: Um, to to and counter the- that, Matt, though, sorry, just to interrupt, would you, would you say that, that Brooks, he wouldn't care about the rider Cup as a whole, or maybe wouldn't care about pairings, but when it comes down to a singles match on Sunday, do you think he'd be... So bloody minded and stubborn that he would win that singles match purely because he doesn't want to be defeated. He wants to hold that moniker of you know not giving up the point and not being the one that lets people down on a Sunday.
1: Um, possibly, I, I I think, and again, my slight fear with this European team is, is I sort of think that I know what I think when it comes to the to the singles. It becomes less of a it becomes less of a, a digging deep. Thing. Thing and that it, it is possible for um, their individual strengths to suddenly uh, burst clear, and I, I, it kind of bothers me that I think there's a bit of a bit of weakness in the European team. Plus, um, as much as I admire all of the experienced Europeans that are in the team, I think it would be quite astonishing if if all of them thrived. I, I mean, I, I if. I really, really hope Ian Polter has a fantastic Ryder Cup. I mean, it, if it, my perfect sight for this World Cup would be that Sergio and Ian Polter have a brilliant um, Ryder Cup and they somehow claimed the victory in it. Because um, I, I, I sort of feel with Polter, you know, we often talk about regression to mean when somebody's just performing brilliantly and you just think oh, eventually they're not they're not going to play as well. I sometimes it, there might be a sort of rebound to mean with him because he's not had a, he's had a couple of sort of ordinary Ryder Cups. Um, I think there's a possibility that he could he could do something special this time, but at the same time I also just think we've gone to the well an awful lot of times with Paul to Garcia Westwood. I, I, I can sort of visualise that it's what might be one one um, visit too much, and then sort of like Wiesberger and Fitzpatrick don't have a very good week. Um, I kind of, I hope that's not the case, but. I can sort. I can. it's a possibility too much that given that it's a short, you know, they might be the wrong price, but it's still a short price. Um, so it's ultimately, I'm going to, I'll, I'll put my hopes on the line rather than my cash.
0: When, when you say there's an important thing that you said there about Ian Poulter, cause I kind of feel the same way is that all the time, Ian Poulter has got two arms and he's competing on the PGA tour on a course, on courses that don't really suit him. Um, you know he's generally going to come up for Ryder Cup consideration, um, and and that would be it. I can't see Poulter, Westwood, and and I'm slowly coming around to it, nor Sergio Garcia really doing an awful lot of this Ryder Cup, and Westwood's just lost form at, at the very worst time. Um, I don't think this is a good golf horse for Impulsive, regardless of whether it gets into sort of open blustery conditions or Kiawah Island conditions. Um, and Sergio, Sergio Garcia has a horrific record on his golf course um, I think he's played it three times in the major championships and missed two cuts and finished 54th so that is enough evidence to me to suggest he doesn't like it I thought he was going to be a really, really big part of the team um, I thought that he was going to be someone, Jason, that would look after the rookies whether it be Hovland or Wiesberger on the first day I think Shea Lowry's is obviously going to go out Roy Rory McIlroy um, but I'm slowly coming around to Paul Casey being that kind of big of influence because I think that, one, he's got a good record at golf course, I think he's 12th and 30th in the two majors. I think, barring anyone not named John Rahm, he's probably been the most consistent player on our team um, over the past year or so. Um, and I just think that he's one of the most suited outside of Rahm, Rory and, and Hovland um, to play in this PJ Tour style of golf that they're obviously going to set out for this week.
2: Yeah, I think you're probably right. I, I think we've got... I think Rory has a huge responsibility this week. I would say even more than John Rahm for those number one. I think McIlroy is the key to, you know, keeping this close or going ahead. I, yeah. I, and I wonder whether that's going to be. I mean, I'm sure he won't mind. I've no idea, but um, yeah, I, I do think that that's, you you can certainly see, as you say, saying, Johnny Rahm speaks for himself, doesn't he? But I think it's it's McIlroy, you know. There he is. He's got the most majors. You know, he's got. Um, oh, God, I've lost his record here. I don't know, where are we? Uh, yeah, what's 11.9, 4 So he's, he's so experienced. He's, he's 111. He knows the course. He's got everything um, about him for the course. Obviously, he finished third back in 210, didn't he? Um, yeah. you're, you're putting me off more and more. You know that. <laughs> every, every time you two speak about it, I, I, I do get what you're saying. I think the problem is. I'm not entirely convinced about the Americans, but I get that there's potentially a lot more weaknesses um, in the European. Um, I think one advantage we have is Padre Harrington. I think he will leave no stone unturned. He is just the master tactician. And if Europe could get ahead after day one, I, I think he's he's in effect the 13th man. Um the way he puts this out, the order in which he puts it out, is going to be absolutely vital. But, yeah, I, I think for day one is going to be absolutely crucial. Uh, um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see. Uh, uh, I think you're absolutely right, because yeah. I think what you they're say not there about... They're not a team. The Americans are not a team. The question is whether the individuals are just can get through that fact. Yeah, um, Four balls, yeah, four sums maybe a bit more a bit more tricky i think we do have uh, the foursomes i think we have an advantage to be honest with you but uh.
0: i think it depends how they put it because i think you're absolutely right i think if you compare the two captains head-to-head i would want project harrison 10 times out of 10 over steve stricker and um, stricker's only won one of his free rider cups that he played in was never very good as a player himself in the tournament project harrison has played in 6-1-4 done his bit you know he's been a major champion taking down you know the americans in in major championships and things like that so i'm very confident in him and i also like what you say you know about rory mccroy being so you know so important because john rahm is going to be i think should be put with victor hovland on day one i think they'd make a you know just go out there and make a statement um they may have to split up rory rahm and and hovland and spread them along the team but rory Macroy is very likely to go out with shane larry i don't think that's
1: I, I, i'll just i'll just throw in a, a curveball on that yeah um it, it does seem like a a real natural one but um when i did that chat with harrington he did he actually mentioned that he he thought the business of pairing people's nas- by nationality was a bit old hat and he, yeah. he actually said that in uh, was it 2006, 2008, he said he got paired with Graeme McDowell on the basis that we were both Irish. And he said we'd hardly ever spoken to each other before that week. And he said Graeme McDowell was really intimidated by me and it was an utterly disastrous partnership. Um, and so he said he was very wary of that. Um, I... I, I I don't know whether he was maybe throwing a bit, a bit of a... He might have been throwing a curveball then, but I do also know that in the Irish Independent this weekend, I've got it up in front of me, he actually says, being nostalgic about Shane and Rory playing together, that tends to be a red flag to me, and I push it away. <coughs> so I don't know if that indicates that... But again, Padraig Harrington is exactly the sort of person who could say both those things and then toss Shane Larry, and Rory McIlroy together. So... um I don't know, but those are two two potential um, uh, curveballs in what seems like a, a partnership that everybody would like, I think.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I'd understand that. And I think that certainly when it came to John Rahm and Sergio Garcia, I don't think there's any feel for them playing with one another. I don't think they're even remotely friends um, I don't I don't think there's any sort of interest in them being a pairing, but I, I do think, you know, Lowry and, and McElroy have had a decent relationship in the past. I think they've got together at the Olympics and and seems to gel well. Their games should complement them fairly well each other and enforce them. So I, I do think there's still a, you know a chance for that. The, the concern for me would be whether they do tend, like I said, to split them up if Rory goes, you know, Rory was tasked in 2016 with taking Thomas Peters under his wing um and they were absolutely fantastic. I mean they they won three of all, all three matches they played with one another um and maybe he does that um with with Lowry um if if what you say there about Harrington not liking the nationality being put together, then maybe they do Rory and Victor uh, I don't know it, you know you might even put him in Wiesburg i I personally think I look at someone like Paul Casey. And and I just think this is this is really his time to shine. And I don't I, th- I feel like he's been slightly underused because of the the kind of problems he had with with Team Europe at the times and, and not doing what he needed to do, get his teams at, at any one point. And now he's kind of fully committed back to it. You know, Jason's mentioned that you know and myself. You know, when he was at the PJ Championship at Harding Park, he looked a different character. Seems to be back on the right trend. And to yeah. me, I just think. He would be perfect. I think that he's bound to go out with Cyril Hatton at some point on on the Friday. Um unless and, and something's come up in the analytics to suggest that they're not actually a good partnership. Um I think Hatton needs a little bit of help at the moment. I don't think he's in the best shape. So I think Casey and Gattern, I think Casey would be a brilliant partner for Wiesberger who they seem to be pushing Matt for, for the four balls in on the first day. Uh yeah, I, I so, something
1: in that independent article that um also piqued my interest was um, Harrington making a real effort to say that his wild cards were, were really focused on good ball strikers, because he said it's a ball strikers golf course. It doesn't matter how good your short game is. If you're missing greens or in the bunkers, you're not getting up and down. You either have easy chip shots, where an average chipper can do well, or you have unbelievable chip shots, bunker shots. Uh, you just don't want to be there with a scrappy game. Um, And then he sort of singled out a few people as being really good ball strikers, and he's quite excited. Uh, Tommy Fleetwood was one, but I mean that that almost makes me think that when with his good record at Whistling Straits, Paul Casey's ball striking has been great for the sort of last 18 months, hasn't it? Yeah, Um, that that explains a why he has done well at Whistling Straits. And also perhaps why Harrington is quite excited about his team. Um, and yeah, I can see him. I can see him figuring and doing very well. But I mean, it, it, when he's played at the top level in the last eighteen months, he's just been sensational.
0: Yeah, it's just been it's been absolutely ludicrous. Jason, you've you've been a, a massive admirer of what Paul Casey's done on the golf course um, for the past eighteen months. I mean, the, the performances in his major championships. Um, yeah, I think it's just been absolutely outstanding. It's just. I even look back at, was it 2004 when he went out in the first Ryder Cup as a a rookie and he took Woods on first in the order in the singles. I know that's obviously a long time ago now, but I think they knew then what they had. I think it was him and Ian Woosnam were asked um, who they thought should go out first out of the two of them. And and Ian Woosnam wished Paul Casey luck and sent him out. So there was obviously a, a lot of belief in him there. But you just look at the last two PGA Championships, he's finished second and fourth. He was 7th for the uh, the US Open this year, 17th last year. You look at his record here, 12th and 30th. Oh, I just, I can't get away. I mean, it's interesting what Matt said there about Tommy Fleetwood, Jason, that, that maybe Tommy Fleetwood and Paul Casey might make a good partnership. Uh,
2: what's that, Casey Wood or something, is it? Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, perhaps. I mean, I, I'm not... I mean... It, you know, can you take stroke play events into something like this? There's this, you know, there's such a different type of motivation for this, isn't there? That you could easily see somebody, you know, many of these finding something from somewhere. Oh, yeah. I mean, Casey, you know, hugely experienced in match play, isn't he? He's won it. You know, he's made finals of the World Match Play. Um, yeah. Won
0: the World Cup with Luke Donald all those years Absolutely. Ago, I
2: that? mean, I, I've got no, no issue with Paul Casey. I mean, he's he's lost... I'm sure he's still got it inside and you occasionally see it, that arrogance that, that put a lot of people off, especially if you um, in the golf journals on Twitter. Um, but he seems, I mean, it's still there, but um, I don't think he's got that sort of um, young, young man sort of arrogance. It's just, it's just a bit of he's happy with his game, he's happy where he is um, and he's a very determined character. And, and like I say, I think somebody like him um, I'd like to see Justin Mosin but we're not talking about
0: that. I think he does fit the team. Oh, well. no, I, d- I do want to talk about it in a second, so we'll carry on. So. Okay.
2: Oh, okay, dear. Okay. Um, so, yeah, uh, Paul Casey, Rory. I just look at some of them, Sergio. They, again, I go back to it. I think they can be so motivated by you know, a rousing speech by, by Pod. Um, they will find something. It, on the figures, you can't see it. You can't see it, but there's something there, and I think the Americans will just play their game. I genuinely don't see how Stricker gets them more motivated for this. Uh, whereas I think, look, 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 we're having a go, but the average world rate of 29 isn't bad, is it? Let's face it. Um, I, I, I just I worry, as you say, about the you know hat form. Um, right, fleetwood Flickwood's got the figures there, but he's not been convincing. Beastberg, um, lack of experience, but I, I do think there's something there, and, and I wonder how many shots you have to find. You know, you go back to Whistling Straits and and how how you know suited to America is. You go 2004 PGA in the top ten, were three Europeans and four Americans. Um, 2010, obviously uh, Keimer won, Rory was third. There's five Americans in there, um, and uh, Jr was placed or oh, top ten in 2015. Um, in fact, interesting, if you go to 2007 Seniors that was held there, Sam Torrance was the only Englishman. So All this is very linksy, isn't it? Those players are so linksy. And, and you just look at it and you think, can he, can he find them two shots around? Enough of those players. Can they find two shots around? And it, it, they really, really will be competitive. They go ahead. I, I, I do think some of those Americans are flaky.
0: Um, yeah, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. See I, would, see, I would counter what you said about the PGA Championship with just, you know, the uh, Western Straits is completely opposite in the sense that I would see it more as a more suitable for the American. You look at Vijay Singh winning in 2004. He had to beat two Americans in the playoff, three more Americans in the top 10. Uh, 2010, Martin Kahn beat Bubba Watson, and they basically only got there because Dustin Johnson fell for, foul of the rules infraction. The four other Americans... Um, in the top ten in there as well. And then 2015, Spee finishes second today, Kepka fifth, Johnson seventh, Tony Final tenth. So that's four of the uh four of the eleven players in the top ten were players that are on this Ryder Cup team this year. So that that would be my only concern in that respect. I mean you'd expect that to happen in PJ Championships anyway. That's just what goes on. Um but coming back on to your Justin Rose point, I think there's there's two players that I think are pretty much going to get hidden for the week. Um, and for good reason. I think Matthew Fitzpatrick is going to play very little. Um, I can't see a pathway in which he is used that often, and I think that maybe the only time he gets put in a foursomes or a four ball someone is with Lee Westwood because of the possible Billy Foster connection, or well, I don't think that, by what Matt's saying, the Podrick and cares too much about that, but they, they, you know, Fitzpatrick and Westwood have both lost form at the wrong time. I think, like Matt said about Fitzpatrick, in the sense that short game isn't a massive factor here. That's not going to help him. Um, and, and I just wondered, Jason, whether he was desperate for for Lee Westwood to almost drop out of that that automatic place and and take Justin Rose. Don't know, host Matt. He spoke to him. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> he, he, he never mentioned anything like that. I mean, uh, I I I think if Justin Rose Justin Rose would improve the team if he was. Yeah. There instead of Hatton, Westwood, Verger uh, and Fitzpatrick, um, but you've got you, you've got um, ultimately you've got to go. If somebody if somebody qualifies, they qualify. So um, yeah, yeah I, I never really have a problem with um, you know I mean Padraig could have picked I don't know Samuel Beckett and um, any collection of, of of three people for his wild card. I think once you, once you make somebody a captain. You have to just. They can pick whoever they like. Ultimately, because you get in by right. That's that's, and then the rest of it is down to the captain's um, decisions. Um, I I think he would have. I, and I, it's quite interesting. He, he, Harrington hasn't talked about this recently, but he because he dropped one of his captain's picks, didn't he? And he said it was because he'd look at the evidence, and if if you're given the captain's pick and you're not an experienced fella then they perform very well because they're trying to justify the pick i don't I, I don't know what that evidence would be and I, I don't have the time in my life to go through all the all the wild cards <laughs> to, to, to work it out but it it, it it kind of makes a little bit of sense and it, it it shows that he's got faith in Shane Lowry to actually go ahead and 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 do it. I, I think it's very interesting. I think I think put it this way. I think he, he did say that Viesberg would have got a pick. I think I think I, I suspect that's the sort of thing that you say when somebody's got in. You you're you not know going to say. I mean, if he gets asked the question, the last thing he's going to do is say, "No, I wouldn't have given Bernd a spot on the <laughs> team." If he hadn't earned it. I mean, unless unless he was so crushingly honest, he didn't care what what, what implications it had on his confidence. Um, yeah, I mean I, I've. These bugs are interesting because I, I never knew this, but apparently he and Sergio Garcia are quite friendly. So I don't know whether they'll ultimately become. It was a completely new one, so I had not a clue that that was, that was the case. Um, so they might be a potential um, uh, uh, link up. Um, yeah, it, but, uh, well, um, it, it's strange. I came into this um, kind of hoping that chatting to you two would um, sure. help clear a lot of confusion in my head. And if, if anything, it's just added to my. Uh, confusion um yeah I really like the idea of case having a good week but but ultimately when you're what we're thinking is we're trying to find who's gonna become Europe's top scorer in that in, in that sense of how well somebody does and I'm not sure I can see Paul Casey playing five matches or at least four I but the flip side of that is you, you only have to do well in the morning Friday morning you do well you get put in on Friday afternoon and you win again and all of a sudden you're bound to play at least once on, on Saturday. So that that's a possibility, but uh, it does always make... I, I also just think, I think Rory is likely to get some quite good partnerships. Um, another little line I, I read today was that Paul McGinley said that he chatted to uh, Harrington and uh, uh, specifically learned that Harrington had spent a lot of time talking to Rory and he was going to take a really... A really big role in the in the team, and 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 McGinley said he just naturally does that anyway, and he's he's somebody who the whole team really like they all like him, so it's fair, they all feel, feel very comfortable with him, but he made the he made the point that McElroy likes playing with a big name, and uh, that's that's the sort of thing that fires him, uh, and that's something else that I picked up when I ch- spoke to Harrington. He said he's asked players what sort of players they like playing with and he said it's very interesting some players will say I don't I don't want a drama person now he didn't come out and say this but you can sort of imagine that might be somebody like Ian Poulter and and it wasn't like a criticism of that whoever that person was who said it it was simply that they play better golf when they're able to stay within their own game and and, and not get excited um, and Paul McGinley's point was a separate one but it kind of it, it was a similar sort of thing that He'd learned, and I suspect Harrington's learned that McElroy likes playing with big names, and and so I think that aids his opportunity of, of, of putting points on. And I, I he's also, but the two times he's been away from home, he scored three points, um, and I think there's a good chance that he plays four and possibly five matches. So yeah, um, in terms of top score, I think I'm persuaded that Rory is my 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 go-to this week.
0: Yeah, I would, I would agree with a lot of that. I think that that's exactly my concern with Casey, is that although I look on paper that he is um, a perfect example of someone that could play five matches, I think he's very adaptable. I think he should be using foursomes more than he has done in the past. I think he'll deliver a point into singles. I think there's probably four players in this Ryder Cup team that I'd be really confident of in a singles point, and it'd be Ram, Rory, Casey, um, and Victor Hovland. I think they can all go in there and do that. Um, Obviously, Shane Larry could be buoyed by it. We all know the the set of cojones that Ian Poulter comes with. Um, And talking of balls, Manscaped uh, have engineered the ultimate groin and body trimmer by focusing on intelligent functionality and an incredibly comfortable grooming experience. Their fourth-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents, thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. And I now feel as confident about shaving my boys as Ian Poulter does in winning Ryder Cup points. Um, So what... You know, Podrick Harrington has said there about his Ryder Cup picks. Um, he wants guys that are going to go and put points on the board. He's confident in. Uh, the ball striking elements come from, obviously, uh, Shane Lowry and maybe so Bernd Wiesberger. Um, Ian Poulter does it in another fashion. Coming on to the American team, obviously have spoken a lot about the European team there. Jason, I talked about lack of scar tissue at the, the start of the show. Um There's three players that have only played that one Ryder Cup in Paris, which they did get handedly beaten, but I think they would have expected that looking at the golf course. I mean, you looked at it and Justin Thomas was the only person that kind of went over there and really experienced it and he had an overall record of 4-1-0. I think Tony Finau will come out of that pretty content with what he did. Um, You know, 1-1, lost one in the four balls, didn't get a chance in the foursomes and absolutely waxed the best European player on the week uh, in the singles on the final day. Um, Bryson DeChambeau obviously different story uh, went without a win but you've got six rookies there now um, you know I think rookies by name only really in the sense of Colin Morikawa, Patrick Cantley, Xander Schoffelet Daniel Berger Harris English and Scotty Scheffler but it does raise some questions one I think I think personally it's a good thing that they've got this many rookies in there because I think you know it's a chance for a new age of, of Ryder Cup teams I think that you know, lots of Colin Morikawa, Patrick Cantlay, Alexander Shaffler—they're all going to be mainstays. Scotty Sheffield, you'd expect to go on and get some wins and and really force himself into future sides. The other two, not so sure whether they've kind of peaked at the, you know the last current seasons and and maybe won't be so heavily involved. But you know, you know, Jordan Spieth has played in three Ryder Cups, but his record is pretty good. He's five one and zero in the four balls. He's two one and two in the foursomes terrible singles record he's lost six matches across the the Ryder Cup and and Presidents Cup without a win but you know the team aspects Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas I think are locked in as as teammates and Patrick Canton and Xander Shoffele also as well Jason who would you predict I know you're not into the idea of predicting teams and pairings and things like that but is there anyone there that makes a a suitable selection for you? Uh, exactly what you say. <laughs> I'm not into I'm not into,
2: I'm into look, let them say it and then I'll have an opinion on the matchups. Um Morikar was not in I mean they're going on about okay it's his debut but it was his debut at PJ and Open which was fun. Um but he's not in this sort of form really and, and uh, I'm not knocking his, his resolution but I, I certainly think if he's you know if he's if his game's not on he has to get up and down as we all know, Morikar was not really the first one on your list, is he? Um, Jordan's great. Love Jordan. Everybody loves to watching Jordan speak, play golf. So him and JT, I think are so strong. I, I think you've got weaknesses. I really do. Um, Brooks, like you say, I mean, I don't know what his attitude is here. One minute, he can't stand it. The next minute, you know, he loves it anyway. He's not up for it at all. He's been told to say that he doesn't give a monkeys and he's probably injured somewhere anyway, isn't he? He yeah. just doesn't want to be, just doesn't want to be left out. Um, Bryson's got an appalling record again. Who are you going to put Bryson with? You know, um, DJ's lost four out of five in um, in pairs. Um, you know, singles is three out of four. But I mean, that's that, that puts them behind the eight ball when they're going into Sunday. You know, when you break it down like that, I know we can we compare in the teams and therefore they do look stronger, but. As so, Again, as a team effort, I, you know, if you said to me, OK, here we are, we've got an individual stroke play and we've got them against them, you know, it's going to be close still, to be honest with you. Um, again, I just think when you look at it as a team, yeah, you can put two two teams together. I mean, obviously, won the, uh, you know, was runner-up in the match play. I sometimes think he doesn't really know where it's going, to be honest. Um <laughs> He's got that. He's got what, like, um, Alzano Calizares did over the weekend. He sort of moves everywhere, doesn't he, all the time? Um, and I think you can get under his skin, to be honest. Um, it, it just, uh, I, I can't, I'm not going to predict do they go together, but I'm just not convinced of, about them. Um, it's
0: who that you know. Uh, I don't know, mate. I'm gonna keep making noises until you interrupt me. Do, do you think that that there is so much caught up in the world rankings in the sense that they're just so strong? Because, like you say, there the world rankings aren't taken into the fact that Colin McRae has had a bad back for you know an extended period of time, has lost some form. You, you would expect that the the rest and recovery may have kicked in and that would help. But again, his game, like you were saying and alluding to, it doesn't necessarily match and merge with match play you know he's not he can get hot with the putter but it doesn't generally tend to last over a a number of days so um you know it might be okay for one session he might get hot and he's also always going to be ball striking there but if he does have a bad day with his irons or his driver or the course is too long for him that is a massive indicator and he he could actually be less out of more sessions than you would think um i think for me a massive massive thing for the americans and, and it's not just because he's the person that's most talked about. I think how they play Bryson DeChambeau is is absolutely essential to, to victory because, Matt, I said that there is absolutely no chance he's going to play in foursomes because of the way that he hits the ball now. Um, he will not play foursomes. There's no, no one I want to play the ball. I remember speaking to Will Zalatoris on a podcast and he said that he was playing with Cameron Champ in the Walker Cup and every time he let him down with his approach shot because he was just not used to playing from those distances and the same could probably be said for Bryson DeChambeau but then someone else so I was doing a show sort of talked to me and they sort of said "Well, there's probably a load of players lining up just to see what it's like hitting from that uh, that kind of yeah. distance so it i think that he could actually go out very early um in a in a foursomes or four ball and and succeed really well i think that him and Tony Finau would make an excellent four ball partnership um, because I think they could overpower whoever they play, so I do think there's actually a pathway in which Bryson DeChambeau quietly comes in here. Because I've kind of spoken about the Americans not really, not not caring, but just feeling like it's a, you know zero upside and 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 can't really win situation. Bryson DeChambeau probably doesn't have to prove as much to his teammates as people would say. I think I think his personality is overblown and the problems with his players are overblown. He's been chatting up and laughing up in the fairways of Justin Thomas in the past and and what he did before, telling Patrick Cantlay to stop. It was fine. So I actually think that he could have a massive tournament just purely because he wants to go and get those American fans back on side after a, a year of kind of alienating them.
1: Yeah, I quite, I quite like that as a thought process. Um, uh, uh, I, also just the sort of contrary nature of it I, I kind of quite like because I think he's, he's one of those people who I kind of don't like the it it reminds me a little bit of the playground that someone's been a bit of a prat but then it <laughs> just comes nasty and too many people uh, you know I'm, the, I'm in the playground and it started off being funny just laughing at somebody being a bit of a prat and then it just became that's not you're not being very funny now you're just kicking somebody when they're down and I, I kind of I'm kind of a bit bored with uh, kicking and, and not liking Bryce and DeChambeau. so I kind of think that'd be quite funny if he if he went and got a points. Um I I still think he's probably I, I can still see him being a bit of a, a tricky foursomes. Um, I can see people. I I can see what you're saying when somebody might want to give it a go, but yeah. I can still see him being a bit of a tricky one, simply because that there are so many things he likes to take into account and I think it would just become quite a complex issue trying to discuss it all and I mean the flip side of that is he might actually find that if he just simplifies his his life on the golf course he might make more of it but um that's that's quite a lot of questions to to sort of be asking and lots of things to fall into place um I don't think it's out of the question um and I think it would be quite funny um, my biggest
0: concern Matt, with with Bryson and was. If anyone's going to be particular about the golf ball they play, it's going to be Bryson DeChambeau, which means that pretty much anyone that partners up with Forsams is going to have to play that ball that they've never used. And I imagine just listening to sort of transcripts or reading transcripts of us and listening to interviews, that has always been kind of a factor. But someone said to me to counter about Bryson's kind of neurotic behaviour on the golf course is that Jordan Spieth a lot of people play with him and he is absolutely off the map sometimes and and fidgety and angsty and just as like to do some really weird stuff and everyone kind of likes to play with him Patrick Reed's played really well with him Justin Thomas will play well with him uh, normally so as much as Bryson's kind of difficult to play with at times or on paper looks difficult to play with Jordan Spieth should be and it's kind of worked out for him
1: yeah um good point yeah can't argue with any of that um Uh, uh, Yeah, Um, you you kind of intrigued me with that a little bit. Um, Yeah, the only thing I was going to come with with the American top scorers was I'm kind of intrigued by the Choffelet-Cantley together. I I can sort of see Cantley being some sort of... Well, actually, both of them together being some sort of silent killer combination that just (laughs) slices through the, the European team and just very difficult to sort of be, I mean, I, I think, I think that before, I, I thought I enjoyed when Cantley won one Muirfield the first time, um, p- partly because I was on him that year and it was just, it's so much fun, isn't it, when you're on a player and then, and then they actually do have a brilliant final round. It's a bit like, it's a bit like, um this is an even rarer experience I have of, of backing a horse that sort of sits <laughs> at Cheltenham and then just eats everybody up, up the hill and it's just, wow, it's just, perfect it's the perfect thing to witness. But um Cantley playing DeShambo um in that extended uh playoff during the FedEx playoffs, um, I thought was just absolutely brilliant to witness. It was just it was great fun. But it, that's that's another strange thing that everybody was astonished and amazed by what Cantley did. But um in a strange sort of way you overlook the fact that d was kind of like is equal for, to a large extent. It's just equal in the end, he didn't he didn't win it. So it's like mm-hmm. that kind of indicates that he's quite a decent um, head-to-head performer.
0: Yeah, I mean for me, you mentioned Cantlay and Chuffley there. I I personally, uh, my favourite bet for the the top combined point scorer market uh, is Xander shuffle because I think that you've got to look at guys like you said that again to play those five matches, Jason. Um, I think Patrick Cantlay and Chuffley and Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth are the favourites to do that, and it's reflected in the market. And it's not just because Shofflay is the outsider. I think, I personally think he is less likely to go cold on a Sunday singles match than Patrick Cantley is, which which sounds harsh considering what Matt just said about how he performed against Bryson uh, in that playoff and how he played that whole Sunday and how he gained 14 strokes on the passing green. But I think that Xander Shofflay, to me, I feel like you know what you're getting with more than what you do with Patrick Cantley.
2: Oh, I don't know. I think that makes a good point. I think they're they're very similar. Um, Kent is it's a bad word robotic, but um, uh, I think he's got to that stage now, uh, which the, uh, and he's he's considered enough that um, he will actually play play how he needs to against who he need, against whoever he's playing, as opposed to Bryson will just do Bryson, won't he? I mean, I yeah. don't he's got the capability of changing his game to mm-hmm. how the game how the match is going whereas yeah Cantley I think has um yeah I, 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 yeah I don't think that's a bad shot actually I mean I was going to ask how many you thought Finau was going to play because I've got I've got a feeling about him this week but I don't he might get left out one mightn't so um yeah I, I I think you're right I, I think Cantley Xander is going to be um be nice to see them face somebody like Rory and, and uh, you know somebody like that um That'd be a cracking match, but um, yeah, they may be key to it. I mean, I I actually wrote down very quickly the three top scorers, and I think it will be um, Sandy Cantley or Finau, depending on how many he plays. Um,
0: Anyway, yeah, there we are. There's a path for Finau if, if he is the one that's chosen to, in brackets, babysit. Bryson DeChambeau, because there's always these jokes made that he's got 100 children and Bryson DeChambeau would just be another one for the week. Uh. <laughs> um, I think they make a good four-ball partnership anyway. Um, I don't know whether either of them would be suited to foursomes because they both just hit it longer than the people they're going to be playing with, especially if they play with one another. I suppose if they play with one another, at least they're kind of used to being in the same ballpark as one another. The other, the other partnership that I thought might be interesting, which I don't think either of them are going to play the biggest part in the team although one of them is the most experienced of of the team is dustin johnson i think could play with harris english um and there's a couple of reasons i think that might happen um completely contrary to what project harrison thinks that they're, they're sort of born in neighboring states kind of grew up in similar areas and although jason you said that he's, he's not a long hitter harris english when you look at where they win and where they contend it's it's very similar i mean three of english's four pj tour victories have come where dustin johnson wins i know that's probably a little bit quintessential but the fact that dustin johnson just wins a lot um but you know he was also second behind him when no one else could keep up with him at that northern trust event um you know capilla is, is one of them FedEx st jude is another so i just wonder if those two because because at the moment i can't see anyone that that dustin johnson naturally gets paired with and there was that time when he got I can't remember which one Ryder Cup it was. Was it 2016 where he got paired with Bruce Kepka, and then by 2018 they hated one another. Um, so there's no natural thing for Dustin. He's kind of been moved around across Ryder Cups um, with different partners and different things, and tried it, and he's kind of succeeded at. Like I said earlier, three and zero at the, the 2012 Ryder Cup. He, he's kind of, in spite of being moved around, succeeded. And, I just wonder if having him settled, because I don't really see who else Harris English goes with, and I just think that Dustin could be the one, Jason. I, I
2: think they they win as a pair. Uh, they win despite being in a pair rather than being encouraged by being in a pair. I okay. think that is the best way I can sum up most of it. Again, like you say, you mentioned the obvious, the JT and, and, and Jordan uh, and maybe Camden and Xander. But I think they win despite being in a pair. And that is the crux of this whole tournament. And I, I genuinely think that is... That's the key to it. Um, it may well be that as individuals, their, their, their skill set um, defies the fact that they're relying on each other, um, if you like. But I, I just don't, I, look, I said at the beginning, I don't see it. I don't see where it is. Um, they may just be too good under the circumstances, under the conditions. But I, I don't see it as being, yes, the Americans came together as a team and won this Ryder Cup. That's, that's it. Is Harry is going to be the one who does the Boo Weekly sort of ride down the fairway when
0: he hits the tee shot? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he could be. I don't know if he's that, that exciting. At least Boo Weekly looked like he was someone that would do that. <laughs> he
2: did that.
0: have great fun, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> he, was, um, he was brilliant. I remember talking to Oliver Wilson about that and, and Oliver Wilson... Uh, it's interesting. And Oliver Wilson makes me come to a wider point that that, sort of the, that was the 2008 Ryder Cup that obviously Azinger introduced his pod system and, and Oliver Wilson was... I think they were poorly captain that year in the sense that Wilson felt that he was kind of just on the team, he made the team, but he, you know, uh I didn't want him, didn't respect him because he didn't win enough. He played that really good, you yeah. know, uh, match with Henrik Stenson, come back to get that half point against Andy Kim and Phil Mickelson, then got sat out, um, and then he had to go up and put it up against Boo Weekly, who happened to just have the round of his life uh, in that Ryder Cup, absolutely steamrolled it. I think he shot was it 700 in a day and. And Wilson was second best on the day shooting three under and just got trounced. So there are individual times where players' good performances get hidden. And I just wonder, Matt, what what, what Jason just said about Dustin Johnson in the sense that he wins in spite of who he's paired with as opposed to it helps who he's paired with. I think that, that might be the crux of someone like DJ this week is that I don't think there's any natural pairing for him, but he's just talent alone, and whoever he's going to be paired with is naturally going to be very strong. It could just be that him and Scotty Scheffler go out as, as experienced and rookie, and, and just overpower the golf course. Him and, you know, uh, Harris English, I just said he he takes responsibility taking those two guys out um, and gets it done without Dustin Johnson being the particular reason that happened.
1: Uh, yeah, uh, when you say Johnson and Sheffler, that sort of immediately sounds like quite a good combination to me. Um the weird, the weird thing I always find about the combinations is it's one of my sort of pet hates a little bit. I, I like, I like speculating on on who might be combinations, but when they're announced, you know how like Twitter will just go berserk about. Oh, this is just a terrible thing. What are they doing here? It's just terrible. <laughs> I, I, it kind of irritates me a little bit because. Um, it irritates me for two reasons. One, I I think if there was if there was less fury, we might. I always want I always want to ask the question why. I always like to say it's it's why with a question mark because I genuine I would genuinely like to know why the captains have put two people together and because they're a little bit scared of a letting the cat out of the bag just in case the pairing works all the week, but also just because they sort of can't be bothered getting involved in big debates we never find out but it'd be really fascinating if we could just properly find out that just get an answer and and just be told oh it's because i don't know their ball shapes fit and this this is one that's all down down to the statisticians who've said they're a perfect combination or it could be these two have come together because they actually revealed to us that they really want to play together but we never find that out and and if we don't know it I don't really know how we can properly judge it if that makes sense. It sort of reminds me of I remember watching a football match and a a fullback. I think it was a fullback of Rafa Benitez's and um Finnan, is that, that ringing that bell? Stephen, yeah. Steve really Finan, yeah. Steve and he never he never crossed the halfway line for the entire match. It was a Europe, it was a Champions League match. And I can remember him getting loads of stick for never going on the overlap and never doing it. And then, right, it was like two weeks later, I read something where Rafa Benitez had said, I'm basically not going to play you the rest of the season if you ever cross the halfway line, because I just basically want you to defend. And I've never forgotten it because everybody was judging Steve Finn's performance on their own perceptions of how he should play as a right back that day, overlooking the fact that he'd been given a role to play by the manager and had fulfilled it to, to the word. And so in actual fact, his performance was exactly what his manager had wanted. And it kind of frustrates me in sport that we don't know enough what they've been asked to do. We just we judge them by our own notions of of what somebody should do. We, is it, we probably have a, a podcast on this subject. It's 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 a it's a slight tangent, but I think the Ryder Cup and the Solheim Cup, this it becomes like a big a big thing because we're we're asking questions and we're pro- probably not asking questions of the right subject, if that makes
0: sense. Yeah, no, look, completely. And I think, like you say, this could be a completely separate podcast because my football team in Nottingham Forest are, you know, someone that I rant about. I'm sure everyone that follows me on Twitter probably wants to block me on a Saturday afternoon because I, I there's, a, there's a football player that we got in the centre midfield who basically never passes the ball forward, never seems to actually have any effects on the game and just runs around a lot and doesn't do that very well either. And you just don't know what the manager asked him to do before he went out five minutes before he went out. If he had just said, look, Ryan, I don't want you to pass the ball forward. I want you to keep of possession, give it to nah. someone else to do it, then then he's done exactly his job. Whereas I'm sitting there saying he can't even play Sunday League football because he can't complete a forward pass. So it it is it's exactly that. It's like people being sent out in a in a rider cup pairing to the benefit of the team, to to anchor someone. I mean, it was like the one pairing I looked at that stood out I've been doing quite a lot of research on the pairings and the one that kind of stood out for me is as a desperate grab of trying to merge game sets together that just didn't work out was pairing Henrik Stenson with Matthew Fitzpatrick at Hazeltine in a sense you just look at it it just seems so obvious that you'll get the best ball striker on the team or one of at the time and the best putter and the hope that on alternate holes they will combine to make that work and Whereas in Paris, for example, Tommy Fleetwood and Francesco Molinari just compared—you know—got exactly the same games. They both were going to ball strike the nuts off the golf ball at a golf course. They both played very well. At, obviously, Fleetwood winning and Molinari in three seconds there. That eventually between the hole, one of them would get hot with a putter, and it worked. And you, you like you say, it, it probably is a little bit frustrating, but also adds to the the beauty of the Ryder Cup that we don't know what's coming until it actually hits us in the face.
1: Yeah, I think what one one that was quite revealing. I think Paul McGinley did regret putting Poulter and Gallagher together because I think I think he, he said afterwards. I, I my theory was that Poulter would be good with a rookie, and it became apparent to me really quickly that it, it wasn't really his his thing, and that um because uh, I think they got I think they probably got trounced or something, but um. Um, and in a funny sort of way, that's actually the, that's kind of like the match that sort of led to the downturn in Poulter. I mean, it's, it's Poulter's record isn't disastrous in the last two Ryder Cups, but funny enough, I think that was his first, I think it was his first match at Glen Eagles. Uh, oh, no, I'm getting Glen Eagles wrong, aren't I? Glen Eagles was 24th. No, no, 24- he
0: no, he did, he He lost 5-4 and four with, with Gallagher in the first session to Spieth and Reed.
1: Yeah, yeah, and 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 McGinley just like said, I thought it would work and it didn't. And that you see, that's what I really want. I want it to be told why did they do it and it didn't and it didn't work. But at least if you know why somebody did it, you can sort of like you have like a because so many of these partnerships we've never found out why they were put together. And it's the, the way Twitter goes on about it. It's like you'd, you'd think they just plucked it out of a out of a bingo bag. <laughs> it's clear clearly the a partnership is ne- unless. Unless the captain just goes and has a bender. No no captain's ever just tossing people together just for to the hell of it. There's always a reason. And it might turn out that it was a, a bad reason like that one was. But at least when we know it, we know that the captain went, I tried that, but it didn't work. Because in McGinley's case, he tried an awful lot of stuff and it did work.
0: Yeah, and I think it's interesting, you know, Jason, we talked about on that subject there. And I think it was how Sutton that tried to famously pair Tiger Woods and Phil Mixon together. And he just come out and openly missed at the end of it that um, he just thought they would win in spite of their massive issues with each other because they're just so talented um, and when he actually put woods with, uh, with Chris Riley who was one of his friends uh, he went out and won four and three so it's interesting that, that they don't seem to I guess the American sides probably don't learn from their mistakes maybe as quickly as Europeans do I think you know Matt just spoke there about a, a glaring mistake that Europe made in the sense of trying to put Polter out to galvanise a rookie, and he wasn't really up for it. The following day, he gets straight out with Rory McElroy. So, I guess we're just maybe a bit more adaptable to to that than than the American side, maybe.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, I think that's absolutely it. comes down to the same thing again, is it? Apart from John Rahm, who I I know is a a lovely man, I'm sure, um, but may not be able to gel and and, and sort of develop his, his game and character to suit his others you look down it and, and forget how they're playing or whatever. And, and what we know of them, you do think that there are an awful lot of people that, that could play against an awful lot of people. Um, I don't know what you think. I mean, I can't see any particular sort of bad pairings there um, in terms of personality or how they'd got on or, or um, uh, encouraging each other, you know, you know, finding a little bit with each other. I, I can't see that many bad pairings, but um yeah, that's it. I think I think I've got to be honest, go back to Polter. Um I think there's a bit of a worry with Porter, to be honest with Um I think there's this, this just huge swell of opinion that that, that Porter's gonna become again this, you know, Colossus. Um and, and you know, if we're down drag us from the depths to, to you know, all go man it'd be chest beating and everything like that. Um I think that's an awful lot of pressure upon him. I i I've I don't wish him bad, but I think people are expecting a bit too much.
0: I think that the key with him holds this week is just to put him out in the first session and find out what you have got with him in, you know, very quickly on the golf course. I don't think it's a great golf course for him. I had a go at making some pairings, and I'll just I'll just read them out, just you know, to get your guys' opinions on them, because again, the more I talk How about, can we them, do? Sorry, Tommy. Can we
2: do it like you do with Skyler, where we go no, yeah, no, yeah,
0: yeah. We'll we'll go with that. So I'll do I'll do the first one, the first team that I wanted to send out, and I'll come to you, Jason, for the verdict. John Rahm with Victor Hovland. Yeah, that's good.
1: Yeah, I'll
0: go that. Good. Uh, Rory and Shane Lowry. Yes, obviously. Yeah. Uh, uh,
1: yeah, I I I would like that. I I I kind of all, I think there's two or three for Rory. I I don't know anything about him. I think Rory played well with Hovland.
0: Yeah, mm. I agree. I think I think like you said, I think that he likes to go out, like you said about Ian Poulter, he likes to go out a name, and I think that he would like to take Hovland and make him perform as Thomas Peters did in Hazelton. My concern is, is that I I just I don't know. I, I just think that if Ram doesn't go with one of the better players, I think it's going to be a waste because what Jason just said there in the sense that I don't think Rahm is the kind of guy to drag someone up with him whereas if he's got a Victor yeah. Hovland or someone next to him um, sort of matching him stride for stride and shot for shot he'll feel a lot better it's really really tough to get right
1: But might there also be a case for uh, Rahm. Rahm didn't win his two matches ahead of the singles in Paris did he? No so so kind of the last thing you would want is him losing his first match because then he's sort of like thinking I've only won one of four matches the Ryder Cup so you almost want to put him in a powerful combo to kind of I mean you would kind of hope he win anyway but you, you might be thinking yeah I, I, I don't want a sort of risky one I want to try and get him, um, get him riding the wave.
0: Yeah, that that was, you know, wasn't exactly that thought process because I'd just be stealing it off you and saying that that was my thought. But it <laughs> it, it, it that is that you know I did want him as a powerful pairing because he went out with Justin Rose, which would seem a powerful pairing. He lost by you know they lost one up, so it wasn't a massive defeat. Then him and Poulter, which doesn't really seem like a natural partnership, got beat by Thomas and Spieth two and one. So I don't think there was any great shame there. He's obviously a better player since. I just think send him out, fire him out first of all, and. And get him going. And then the other two pairings I've got is I think you give Hatton and Casey another go, Jason, in the morning. Uh, yep, I don't mind that. Yeah, the, the other the other I am reason... a bit
2: worried about Hatton, to be honest. As yeah, well. I, and I I don't uh, think he'll, I don't think
0: he will play him. And, and that was the other reason, Matt, that I kind of liked putting them together though on that first session, is because they obviously had a comfortability between the two of them. And again, like I've said about Ian Poulter, if you get him out early and know what you've got with him that week, if he's if he looks like he's going to get up for it and his form's going to come back and he's going to exceed his current form based on the tournament itself, then I think that it's a good partnership for him to have is something that he's used isn't to. It, uh, it's foursomes in the morning, isn't it? Uh, yes, I believe it is. I, I I
1: don't know whether I'd be a bit wary with happening that. Yeah. Have you got Garcia in your
0: first? I have. I've yeah. got Sergio Garcia with Ian Poulter.
1: Oh, OK. Yeah, I mean, I I, um, I would I, one of the things I would do is look at yeah. You know, I mean, Sergio is just so good at foursomes. I think it'd just be sort of criminal not to not to at the very least try and get more of that out of him.
0: I, I thought that I thought for me that there was I was really torn between putting Sergio with Fleetwood and hoping that they just ball strike their way to victory like Molinari and him did, or putting. Poulter out early, Jason, and just just seeing what you've got with him.
2: I think you need to be. I think you you go into this having to try and win the first two matches, or at least not come out the first session behind. Yeah. Whether you put Polter out to do that in the first couple of matches, I don't know. Don't know. I, I, like I would. Rory's definitely out there in the first two. Ram definitely out there in the first two. Yeah, if you want to put Hovland out there with him, uh, and they're they're the ones you need to put out. You cannot go three one behind. Because after, uh, I'm not sure after that. Because I think the the, the the you know the the pairs thing is what Europe have to win. And if mind, go mind, to the... mind, mind,
1: mind you, you say that the, the first session in 2018, the US won 3-1, and actually the US have won the first session in five of the last six.
0: Right, exactly. I think I think Justin Ray put a, uh, yeah, a tweet did, up today that. No one that's won the first session of the Ryder Cup in—I can't remember. I can't. I need to find the exact stat. Um, but it was basically for a, a relatively long period of time that the people that won the first session hadn't run the Ryder Cup. Yeah, right. Um So it was—it's pretty, um, you know, a big indicator in really, it. The first session itself—I mean, the first day—I think always leads to the winner, or, or, or quite often. But my my thought process was that. You could you could see what you'd got with with Ram with Poulter, Sergio, uh, and and Hatton in that first session because they they're the top they're the three type of players that can really outperform their current form and their nat their natural ability on a golf course because it's the Ryder Cup, um, so it could either pay dividends just having them out there, and if they don't succeed, then like Jason said, you go wow. for those two wins, and I, I'm confident that Rory and Larry and Ram and Hovland could deliver that.
1: I, I i tell you just one thing that i always think with partnerships and this is another thing that harks back to my i wish we knew exactly why because uh, i always like think my my oldest friend that i've played golf with um we have played together in a partnership sometimes and it, it would be one of those things that if we were in a rider cup people would like go oh, i'll put them together like, they i've known each other for years um i absolutely loathe being in a partnership with him um because <laughs> The things he says to himself around a golf course, and when we've been in a partnership, he said it to me, are exactly the sort of things to make me really tense and quite frustrated. Uh, and, and I've always thought about this when I'm thinking about, it's, it's 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 weird things that we don't consider, like the things you say to each other as you go off a green when you've lost a hole. And, and, and he said, all the things he says are just the things that just don't work in my head. I was thinking of this as well when Dottie Pepper was commentating on the salheim Cup. Um, she was actually one of the most delicious things about the Ryder Cup because her she could not let things go. What it, I mean, she's she's famous, of course, for, for being the player, the commentator who who accidentally on air described an American player as a choking freaking dog. Um, <laughs> and so she's she's very well, and even as a player, she was very acerbic. But um, Jennifer Cupcho like drained a ten foot putt and. Her and who she was playing with. I think they won their early match and they were winning their second match, and still, when Dottie Pe- when she trained that putt, Dottie Pepper just sort of went about time <laughs> like in a really bad temper. And, and I just sort go, of, Christ, if I was anywhere near this person trying to play golf, I would just, it, it would just work so badly with me. Uh, and it's it's like those weird little things that we don't that we don't know about, which I can imagine playing good golf with somebody I don't actually like which, which doesn't make sense really but if, if if they do the right thing on the golf course it, it would kind of work whereas like somebody clearly somebody who I do like is a disaster playing with me on the golf course and I, again I wish I wish we kind of knew those things you, you sort of reveal you sort of get to learn that when you look at um so I've, so the reason I, ch- I chat to Tony Jacklin is because he's got a new book out about um, uh, the Ryder Cup. And it's fascinating. How, like the narrative is is that the Europeans are able to make this uh, be a great team and everything. But you just find it like he hated, he still hates Mark James and <laughs> Ken Brown because of what they did in 1979. And even when both of those players were key, a key element of, of the rebirth in the, in the 80s, it's really, in this book, he's still dropping all these like little digs at them. I was a hilarious dig about like how he put Ken Brown out 12th in the singles, because Ken Brown was slow and he, just, he wanted to keep him out of the bat. It, it, it's almost <laughs> like he had nothing to do with ordering your team so that you would, it, it was basically a like stick Ken at the end because he's slow. And um, that, that, that actually led to a fantastic anecdote, which tells you about the difference between the Ryder Cup even then and now, which is that the Ryder Cup ended up being won when Ken Brown and Curtis Strange were still out on the golf course. And when they got to the 16th tee, the crowds had pinched all the tee tee markers. So John Parramore had to put his, he literally stuck his brolly into the turf and said, hit from here. And then when they got to the green, there's no pin because somebody pinched that. So John Parramore had to go and put his his umbrella in the pin so that they could play for the green. And literally they're playing it in front of nobody, just John Parramore. It's it's nuts, You, you can't even, begin to imagine how that could become effectively like Alex Noren's game at the last Ryder Cup.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, it's crazy, isn't it? It is it's, it's absolutely beyond belief. What you know, The intricacies between this tournament, I was listening to, uh, just to go back to that stat, sorry, that I was talking about Justin Ray, so Europe have not led after the opening session of the Ryder Cup, so that's obviously the morning, not the day one, since 2006. So that's the stat there. That obviously, they've won all of those in that time and, and not been leading after the opening session. So um, but I, I was listening to Luke Donald on, on on the No Laying Up podcast recently and he said that you know um, what you had there with uh, Victor de Busson at the two thousand and fourteen Ryder Cup. Now he went out with Gray but Dow and and Matt this would be another thing if you you know, why was that the case? Victor de Busson was given his own room at the Ryder Cup to just go and play PlayStation with his friends rather than spend time with the team because they thought that that would help him perform his best just being relaxed in his own environment with people that he knows as opposed to the rest of the team and then he will just go out during the day and do what he's asked to do and I guess that Graham McDowell was the best guy to help him do that
1: Yeah, I think they'd spent a lot of I think Paul McGinley had identified from a long way out that the Bruyne on would get in the team and he'd then identified one man who was likely to get into the team as well, who would be able to cope with the fact that um, Victor uh, needs um, a very particular way of of being dealt with. Yeah. So it's like it's fascinating. I mean, that, that says a great deal for Paul McGinley's attention to detail to to highlight that and actually. And, and of course, it's 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 so strange, isn't it, that um, although Tom Watson was thrown under the bus by Phil Mickelson and the team at the end of that tournament. Uh, uh, difference between what McGinley did for De Bruis on there, identifying he needed special treatment, and Tom Watson basically was just bad-tempered bad throughout the whole week because he thought modern golfers needed babysitting the whole time, and he even when they gave him a present, he sort of said, "What's this all about?" <laughs> it's just, it was like a sort of <laughs> comical contrast of of, of um, two approaches. Just. Uh, um, This isn't betting related, but two of my favourite stories also about the the changes between the tournament in the 80s and now. I I was um, writing about these today and I just think they're absolutely fantastic. One is that in 1981, the match was at such a sort of low ebb that in sponsorship terms, one of the best deals on the table was £60,000 worth of cigarette coupons, um, (laughs) which is just nuts. And I think the alternative was £80,000 worth of green shield stamps, which uh, probably about two listeners know, we can remember what they were, that sort of like nectar points or something. Um, so uh, just, just absurd. And then in 1983, ABC Sports in America offered to give a million dollars back to the PGA of America. So they didn't have to Show highlights, not even live broadcast. So they didn't have to show highlights of the tournament because they were matched because they were, weren't that bothered. Um, it just it's just staggering that this thing was dying on its on its bum and has just just turned from a complete mismatch to just an astonishing like cor- the corporate flimflam that's gonna and money that's gonna be created this week is just nuts.
0: Yeah, no, it is crazy, isn't it? it you know that that nineteen seventy nine Tide Changing from the GBI team to the European side was absolutely massive. And, and like you, you sort of alluded to earlier, you mentioned with, with Seve Bellesteros being the darling of the Ryder Cup, you know, he was known for his gaming ships. He was coughing in backswings. He was picking out rules for, uh, you know, four holes after they'd occurred just to try and get it under their skin. You know, he was the master of doing it. And whether you, you know, you like that or not is, is you know, you know part of the course. You know, you, you either love and reveal and that sort of thing or. I think it's terrible. But um to, to kind of put a bow on the on the Riley Cup discussion, Jason, is there, is there anything else you kind of think is important to mention before we go into these matchups on uh, Friday morning?
2: No, I mean I don't know whether vice captains are important or not. Um I have to say I was quite interested, obviously Phil's there, isn't he? Um yeah. Cup was D L three, we've got Kaima. Um obviously knows what it's like to to you know come from miles behind. Um Stenson was lobbed in at the end for whatever reason um I don't know if they make any difference so uh, again I, I do think it's a personnel thing uh, as well as as well as play you know every week we're talking about play I think this week is is a lot to do with that you know who are these vice captains going to go out and follow which pairs are they going to go and encourage and and i, I just think there's a uh, it's it's an in- very interesting tournament because I think it's about personality as well as rare you know raw ability.
0: Like you said about the the captains, I think we've got an edge on the vice captains as well. I think that the guys that we've got in there are kind of recent success stories in the Ryder Cup versus a lot of big names that haven't really had a positive impact for the for the American team of late. Um, you know, Phil Mixer was chucked in there because, you know, he didn't get a chance to play. Uh, you mentioned Henrik Stenson being chucked in, but at least he kind of you know has recent experience. He's you know very good friends with Poulter and Hatton and people like that, which I imagine played into that. Martin Keimer obviously, Matt, um, a winner on the golf course, and I think he was you know inside the top ten again in 2015 or top twelve again. So I guess you know again, like you say, it's really hard to know beforehand what it is that we're looking at and how much of an impact they'll have. But maybe the vice captains. You know, from what I've heard of, of what Luke Donald said on this podcast the vice captains are probably more important than we probably give them credit for
1: yeah I think, I think that's possibly true um, I think I think what will happen is there'll be some people who don't really um, I think that, that might have been another thing that Harrington said that there are some people who you literally just like say this is what I want you to do that they want to be told what to do and then they'll go off and do it all by themselves and then there's other people who kind of like Quite like a lot of babysitting. You, you, to be honest, you can sort of see that sort of thing uh, sort of at any golf tournament because there are some golfers who have like uh, uh, their management rep who just seems to do literally everything for them and they almost seem to get a bit of kick from that and then there are others who just wonder why they have to have somebody like that and probably don't have them as a consequence. Um, so I think there's probably a similar thing there um uh yeah i would be intrigued. that's another thing that you just like to really know isn't it it's like but the, it's something the that never gets spit spat out but yeah one day i would really like to know who was who needed a lot of babysitting and who was just quite straightforward because we can probably guess lots of them but the intriguing ones are always the ones that we haven't got right
0: yeah i'd agree with that and i don't know Matt, have you had any insight from, from to, or sort of to pick out anything from what Podry Harrington sort of said to you uh, recently? Did, did Justin Rose come into consideration for a vice captain, or was he because he was so close to the team it would actually be? And I think me and Ben Cody sort of discussed this here on Twitter that that possibly being so close to making it and not making it is a negative impact on the likes of Eastberger and Lowry that, and Westwood that just got in, as opposed to the guy that's kind of sulking on the sidelines, or whether he was even asked to do it and just didn't want to. Because um, because it strikes me, Justin Rose as the kind of guy that goes right. Well, I'm not gonna if I can't be on the team, I don't want to be a part of the team to make myself want it more for for Italy in a couple of years time.
1: Uh, yeah, I I can't remember honestly if I've read if I read this in that I think I might have read it in the Independent interview, uh, which I've now not got open on my um, laptop, and I, I think Harrington Rose discussed it and decided that it, it perhaps wouldn't be the the best thing but i'm also sort of thinking now that i might have picked that up from your conversation on twitter with ben <laughs> so, what oh, is that nice i might I mean, we might go on some weird loop where you're just feeding the information and i'm <laughs>
0: it, it could be that indeed look now i'm gonna just give a, a few bets for the rider Cup that i kind of liked um you know I, i'm Quite confident in the the American team, and I think it's actually better just to bet them uh, to lead after day one because if if they are going to win, I think they're going to have to do that. Um, I like Xander Shofflay as a top combined point scorer at fourteen to one. I think that that Shane Lowry at eight to one or seven to one, generally to be the top rookie combined out of the lot, uh, is an interesting bet. Obviously, that does mean going ahead of Chuffelet, Um but you know if he doesn't perform in that Europe, in that European. Um, sorry, combined sort of score or market. Then, then Larry could take that as well. Um, and I also think that the the day one foursomes win a 15 to eight for Europe might be a good bet, just because you know, like essentially we need to win that. I think to to have any chance of proceeding to win the tournament. Jason, any other bets for you? Uh, I think the
2: difference in price. I think nine four. There was five 2 one. No was ever heard of, but I think that's probably slightly too big. I know some people play the draw every single time and, and trade the draw. Um, I'm not sure what that's going to do. But uh, I we're going to agree. I'm, I'm guessing Matt's going to put this up. Um, I think the best bet and uh, each way bet to nothing is Rory McIlroy, five to one for most European. Uh, oh well, actually we are going eleven to two, they? I think. Oh, I think it's yeah, just going it to show a quarter, first three Roy McIlroy is gonna play every single session um got the best record got the most majors is the best player loves the track um five to one i think is a gimme
0: quarter the odds first three and eleven to one in the top combines point score as well Would that interest you uh
2: nope I think five to one a quarter of the odds first three <laughs> top European and uh that's it uh, you can cheer the rest on uh it's- yeah, I'd say
0: personality tournament I think this. Yeah, absolutely. I think I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Paul Casey as well. Sorry, in that top European points market. I think that if what I've kind of considered on paper is a good fit uh if Paul Casey, if he does end up playing those five sessions, I think this could be his coming of age event in a in a an event that he's promised so much in the past and maybe not been used as much as he would like. Uh Matt, any sort of bets for you?
1: Um, I'm going to go, it will just be Rory McIlroy at the moment. That's the only one that I'm to, uh, I've got a good quote from Rory. Um, I've used this quite a bit. Um, I don't know if you recall, but early on in his career, he really didn't like Dye designs. Um, And he he said this, uh, I can't remember when he said it, but he said, so the 2010 PGA Championship at Whistling Straits was when I turned a corner. I turned up there and I hated it. I really did not like it. I had to tell myself, just get your head around liking this place for one week, embrace that it's visually a little bit funky and whatever. He said, I, I finished one shot outside of the playoff and going on from there, I've won at Die Designed, Kiowa Island, Crooked Stick, and here at Sawgrass. I've started to quite like them. They're an acquired taste like beer when you're younger. You sort of don't like it, but then you think it's cool to drink it and then you sort of acquire a taste for it. Um, so that um, um, that would suggest that he's going to have some um, reasonably good um, vibes when he comes back. So yeah, and plus what I said, I think he's going to. Uh, my guess is that he's unlikely to be asked to try and get Tyrrell Hatton around the course. Or I, um, I keep I keep I feel a little bit like I'm demeaning um, Hatton and and Fitzpatrick and Fiesberg. They're all. Um, um, a part of me kind of hopes they have a good. I sort of really hope Burn Feesberger has a good week, because um, I kind of didn't like the vibe around Wentworth a okay. little bit when it was almost like, oh, he's going to get in the team, he's going to ruin it. I didn't like that very much. I agree. Um, if if the blokes if the blokes earned his spot, regardless of whether if you think the points at the end at Wentworth were were, were too much or whatever, who cares? He, he did the job. Um, uh, so i I, I hope for his, he seems like a nice enough guy so i I hope he has a good week
0: yeah I agree with that I think that I think Wiesberger is one that like you say I think there was hope that he was going to fall out of the team from a large contingent of people which is a horrible thing to wish on anyone as much as I think a lot of us would have liked Justin Rose to be in the side coming into form at the right time is is it's awful well to, I actually, th- yeah I actually thought
1: imagine if I think it's quite a lot actually imagine if we discovered that the final event for American qualification, everyone was like, going. I can't think, say Daniel Berger was getting in the team, and all the vibes on Twitter from everybody around the site where well, we hope Daniel Berger slips out, we'd all be like going, oh, t- uh, Americans, they got no team ethic. Mm. Look yeah. at them, whisper. And then, especially if one of the players who looked like he might fall out started bitching about the point system, like Lee Westwood did. Again, <laughs> that, that, we'd all be like going, well, it's not very good, is it? Because... I don't know, know, because uh, Jordan Speed saying the point system's a bit dodgy. We, we get that typical the Americans' team I think it's not very good. Um yeah, so I think that, that that kind of didn't fit the narrative a little bit. I mean not that I think anybody's thinking about that too much at the moment, but um but yeah, I, I didn't like those two little elements at Wentworth. So um I won't be backing Burnt Feesberger. I'm not mad, but um, <laughs> I hope he has a good
0: Yep, no, I agree with that. I think there's a pathway for him to succeed, but I think we'll put a bow on that. I think you know we, we've talked enough. I think that you know a lot of what we said, he, you know, is out there already. With, you know, in terms of camaraderie for the European side, lack of it on the USA side. I just think we've maybe took a deeper side into it and and possibly countered some of the arguments there with with our, some other information. But thank you very much as ever, uh, Jason and Matt, for coming on and uh just one final part is that if you would like to get 20 percent off the manscaped website use code lfw20 for 20 percent off and that'll obviously help the podcast out in future and uh you'll get a really great product at the end of it as well so thank you guys for coming on and good luck this week